Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, folks. This episode is sponsored by italki, a very convenient way to build your fluency in English by getting regular spoken practice into your life with one-to-one lessons or conversations on Skype. They have lots of teachers just waiting to talk to you, and you could talk about anything you want. You could have structured lessons or just conversations. You could talk all about Star Wars, The Last Jedi, if that's your cup of tea. And uh, remember that when you get some lessons or talking time, italki will then send you a voucher worth a free lesson. To get that offer, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash talk or click an italki logo on my website. You're listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. Hello, folks. Welcome back to Luke's English Podcast. This is episode number 503, and this one is all about Star Wars, The Last Jedi. And uh, some of this stuff that I'm saying here is scripted, and some parts are not, uh, but uh, a lot of it is scripted. Um, And if you'd like to read along with me while I'm talking, which can be a great way to work on your English, because you can see specific phrases I'm using and so on, If you want to read along with me, then check out the page for this episode on my website, okay? Now, in fact, um, there will be two episodes about Star Wars. This one, which is just me talking about the film, going through the plot, giving my thoughts and discussing the audience reactions to the film. And also the next one, which will be a conversation about the film with my brother and my dad. And uh, we went to see the film together while they were here at Christmas time. And afterwards, I managed to record a conversation with them. And you can hear their reactions and some general rambling about it. And that will be in the next episode. So at least two episodes about Star Wars. I was wondering if I should devote so much time to this, especially considering that some of you probably aren't into Star Wars at all. And then I thought to myself, well, how do I choose my topics for this podcast when I know that I can't please everyone. Often, the deciding factor is, do I want to talk about it myself? And also, would I want to listen to it? And the answer to those questions uh, is yes. Uh, When I came out of the cinema in December, having just seen this film, I just wanted to hear other people's comments about it. And I looked for podcasts about it and YouTube videos and stuff. And if I was learning English, I would definitely like to hear someone talking about this film in English in clear English, maybe with a transcript. Certainly my ideal learning French podcast would involve uh, someone discussing this film in some depth in clear French. And I'm still yet to find this elusive, perfect French version of, of Luke's English podcast. But anyway, I'd like to talk about it. And I thought if I was learning a language, I'd like to listen to someone talking about it too. Um, and you know what? I just really want to talk about Star Wars for a while, just because it pleases me to do it. So there you go. That's my justification for doing these episodes. Um, Spoilers. 
Um, spoilers. There are spoilers for the film throughout this episode. So if you haven't seen The Last Jedi yet, you might want to wait until you listen. You might, uh, you might want to wait before you listen to this if you haven't seen it. I'm pretty sure the film has been out for a while in most places. I understand that uh, The Last Jedi came out in China on the 5th of January, a little bit later than in other countries. Uh, But I think there's been enough time now for me to do some spoilers on the podcast. If you're not a fan of Star Wars, which is totally fine, of course, I understand that this might not be for you. I don't expect everyone to be into Star Wars. It's just something that I've always enjoyed since childhood. So if if you're not if you're just not a Star Wars fan, then I totally understand, but you'll just have to put up with an episode or two about Star Wars this time, or you can just skip them. Of course, you could just skip them completely. It's totally up to you. Uh if you want to listen to something else from me, like perhaps an episode about vocabulary or an episode with various jokes, and their explanations, or an episode with a mystery adventure story, or an episode with grammar and pronunciation questions answered, let me remind you that you can download the Luke's English Podcast app completely free, and there you'll find at least seven uh, exclusive app-only episodes that deal with those things specifically. And you can just check out the App Store, download the Luke's English Podcast app, check out the app-only episodes category, and away you go. And of course, you have the entire episode archive there, which you can peruse at your leisure if you'd rather listen to something else. But for this one and the next one, it's all about Star Wars. And if you are a fan, I hope that you will enjoy being immersed in the world of Star Wars The Last Jedi for a couple of episodes of this podcast. Let me say again very clearly that there will be spoilers coming as I'm going to talk about exactly what happens in The Last Jedi in quite a lot of detail. Please don't let me spoil this film for you. Even if you're keen to listen to this new episode, I strongly recommend that you wait until you have seen the film first, okay? So, now, perhaps the people I have left with me listening to this now are fans of Star Wars who've already seen the film, and maybe some other Lepsters who might not be big fans of Star Wars, but are just happy to listen to me talking about it, even if it includes a few plot spoilers. I should also say that I might lose some more of you when I say that I really liked Star Wars The Last Jedi. Not everything, but on the whole, I really enjoyed the film, and I feel like the good things definitely outweigh the bad things. I've seen it twice now, And so there's always a chance that I might change my opinion after seeing it a third time, but I don't think so. So I said that I might lose some more of you when I say that I enjoyed this film, and that's because the response to this film has been very divided. Plenty of people like The Last Jedi a lot, but having said that, plenty of people dislike it and even hate this film as well. This reaction, this sort of hateful reaction, mainly comes from so-called hardcore fans online, I think, who are posting very negative reviews on YouTube, as well as on film review websites like IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes. So it seems that the real hatred comes from, you know, just certain hardcore fans. But I'm quite a hardcore fan of Star Wars, and I loved it. So I don't think it's the case that all fans dislike it. Um, I'm a big fan and I loved it. In terms of my fandom, here is a summary, okay? Here's a summary of my fandom. Fandom, yeah, that's right. Being a fan 
It's called Fandom. Yep. So here's a summary of my fandom. So I grew up with the films. Uh, I watched the original trilogy over and over and over again throughout my life. I watched uh, episode six, Return of the Jedi, in the cinema. As a teenager, I used to have lots of fun speculating about the backstory of certain characters and all that stuff. As a child, I used to think I was Luke Skywalker, as I've said in previous episodes. I was quite obsessive about it growing up. I had all the toys and all that stuff. In the 90s and the 2000s, I saw the prequel films and I was disappointed by them. I found them to be badly written and directed with pretty bland characters and and too much CGI, all that green screen stuff they did. Not everything was bad about the prequels. I liked the Darth Maul scenes, the pod race, the scenes between Obi-Wan Kenobi and Jango Fett. But that, I think that's probably it. I found the rest of it uh, to be more like a Saturday morning cartoon in places. Uh, More recently, I saw reviews of the prequel trilogy on YouTube that cemented my opinion of those films as being rubbish. And I'm talking about the fairly well-known YouTube reviews called Mr. Plinkett's Reviews by Red Letter Media. Um, I thought they were very astute criticisms of the prequels with some twisted humour thrown in. So I'm not a fan of the prequels. I, I mean, you know, a lot of people do like the prequels. I think on balance... Most people don't like them, but there are people out there who do like them, and that's fine. You know, it's a question of taste at the end of the day. I don't like the prequels, but I wouldn't go so far as to say that the prequel trilogy ruined my childhood, as some fans have said, and are also now saying about The Last Jedi. I think if your childhood can be ruined by a fantasy film that you watch as an adult, then Perhaps your childhood was already quite flimsy in the first place. Flimsy meaning not very well put together or sort of um, structurally a bit weak. I mean, it sounds like hyperbole to me if you say that watching a Star Wars film ruined your childhood. That just sounds like exaggeration for effect, don't you think? It's being a bit over the top. Um, I think what this phrase, it ruined my childhood, really means is that the films spoil the Star Wars franchise uh, for you, and that was such a key part of your upbringing. So they kind of taint the nice experiences you had with Star Wars as a child. Anyway, the prequels didn't ruin my childhood, but they did disappoint me a bit, I have to say. Then it was announced that more Star Wars movies would be released after Lucasfilm was taken over by Disney... And then two years ago, The Force Awakens, Episode 7, was released. And I really enjoyed it, even if it was very derivative of the original Star Wars film. It basically copied the plot of Episode 4 in so many ways. But you know what? I'm all right with that. I don't really care. I thought it was done in a way that was far closer to the original spirit and aesthetic of uh, the original trilogy. And that was very pleasing. Also, they introduced a few new characters, and that was also interesting too. Um, So also, then in 2015, another Star Wars film came out. That was Rogue One. Was it 2015? Christmas 2015. Hello, this is me just fact-checking myself. It wasn't Christmas 2015. It was actually Christmas 2016. And Rogue One was released, and that was a film set just before Episode Four. Um, a bit of backstory, essentially. This was a sort of war movie-inspired episode that didn't have any Jedi or lightsabers in it, 
but it told the story of how the rebels managed to get the plans to destroy the Death Star. I really enjoyed that too. And now it, well, after having seen Episode 7 and Rogue One, it felt like, and it feels like, Star Wars is kind of good again. It's kind of back to its original spirit, from my point of view. Um, I did a number of podcasts about the new Star Wars films. I did one or two after watching Episode 7, The Force Awakens, with James. We talked about it. I also did an episode about Rogue One, also with James, where we just talked about our uh, sort of um, our opinions and thoughts about those two films. Um, I love reading about fan theories and speculations on forums, like, for example, Star Wars Leaks on Reddit. And I also do watch lots of dumb YouTube speculation videos about Star Wars. And there were a lot of those fan speculation videos released onto YouTube in the months before The Last Jedi came out. But I I like to think that I have my fandom under control. I love the world of Star Wars and I feel invested in the stories in in the same way that many people feel very invested in those stories. But I try not to expect too much from the films. I remember the prequel trilogy and my experience uh, with watching the prequels in the cinema. I used to get my hopes up really high before each film was released. You know, I used to think, oh, a new Star Wars film, I can't wait. And I'd get all excited and sort of uh, start building it up in my mind, you know, expecting too much. And then I was disappointed each time. Also, I know that one's enjoyment of these films is largely a question of taste, and a question of subjective experience. What makes a bad film for some people makes a good film for others. And for those of you who who are more um, sort of, what's the word for it? The, the, the kinds of people who tend to prefer the prequels, in some cases, tend not to prefer the sequel trilogy. That's the new ones. So anyway, it's, you know, swings and roundabouts. The relationship between the fans of Star Wars and the films is very complicated. A lot of people feel very personally invested in this franchise. The fans feel that they own the franchise or that it represents their own personal life, childhood, dreams, imagination and everything. It's it's not often that you get that with films. Um, Star Wars is is the film franchise that everyone feels they're part of. Um, Often because we had the toys when we were kids. Because Star Wars is quite unique in that way that it's not just um, a series of films. It's also this wider universe and that includes all these other things like toys and stuff and books and comics and and other things. But especially the toys for the original trilogy. So many of us grew up playing with the Star Wars toys and essentially sort of making our own Star Wars films uh, with our toys. So many of us feel very invested um, in the franchise and we feel that you know we own it or that it's it, you know it's so close to us it's strange how star wars can do that when it's at its best it manages to touch people in the most personal and profound ways uh, also the, the the level of speculation and theorizing among the fans has created such massive expectation from the films that it's almost impossible to please everyone now And when a film fails to meet people's specific vision for the story and characters, it can feel like a very personal disappointment. But I think some fans are expecting too much from Star Wars now. They've put it on a pedestal. If you put something on a pedestal, that's a way of saying that you you know you make some you put something on a platform as if it's perfect, and you expect it to be perfect and to live up to uh, your highest expectations all the time. 
but it's just a movie franchise and to an extent it's a it's a children's movie franchise too to an extent i think that some people honestly just need to chill out a bit and just stop expecting so much from these films but saying that there is bound to be someone out there listening to me who disagrees who says i'm being an apologist who says i'm just apologizing for these new films um someone who says that there's no excuse for what they've done and well you know again i'll go back to just saying it's about subjective experience and 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 that's that isn't it really and if you didn't like it then fair enough in fact if you didn't like it uh which is extremely possible considering the number of negative comments i've seen about the film online if you're one of those people who didn't like it then you know i invite you to write uh, your comments in the comments section because i'd love to read your uh your opinion developed in some way okay so that's fine i don't expect everyone to like it i'm not trying to convince everyone that they should be liking it i'm just giving you my own personal uh, take on things when i read some of the negative reactions i do honestly think did we see the same film some people are so angry and um, you see some of the youtube videos like the the thumbnails for the uh, review videos of like people looking so angry and upset and it makes me wonder if if perhaps there are other things going on here, perhaps, like that maybe these people aren't just angry with the film on its own, but they're angry with what they see as a certain political agenda being expressed through the film. Maybe there's a bit of politics coming into it. Uh, this probably feeds into the ongoing saga of the war between, I don't know how to describe them, maybe right-wing people who don't actually say they're right-wing. I don't know. And... Um, so there's those people and then um, the people that they describe as, as like liberal social justice warriors, this kind of battle on the internet, which I never actually see in the normal world except online. It's only when I see like angry arguments about, you know, social justice warriors and liberals and all this stuff. And then in my normal life, I never encounter these opinions. So maybe this is just something that goes on online. I don't know. But anyway, the angry ones, whatever their political position, get furious when there's a suggestion that a film is being used to promote feminism or to promote ethnic diversity or perhaps other issues like animal welfare or environmental issues. Uh, so, you know, some people get very angry when a film appears to be promoting these things. And uh, even a hint of this in a film makes some people really, really, really angry and mad. And there is a bit of this in The Last Jedi. There are some strong female characters. There are black, Asian and Hispanic actors in in prominent roles. Um, there is a um, there's there's a storyline about animal cruelty and maybe part of the hatred aimed at star wars here is is fueled by people's reactions to these sort of political things i don't know i don't really understand it i'm just trying to understand the passionate um uh, uh response but i suppose you know it's just like what i just said you know people feel very invested in these films and when the films don't quite go the way that they expected then they can get very upset about it prominent i'm just writing the word prominent there prominent roles um but also, some people just don't like it because they think it's bad storytelling. It's not just about politics, of course. Some people just think that the film is just bad. You know, it's just bad storytelling. And because of the way some characters are dealt with, particularly Luke Skywalker, a lot of people can't stand the way that he's represented in the film. Uh, and in fact, they uh, some of these people are, are kind of using Mark Hamill as evidence that 
well. They, they're using Mark Hamill to kind of back up their opinions because Mark Hamill, the actor who plays Luke Skywalker, was quite um, outspoken about... Well, he was quite kind of open about his response to the way the film dealt with his character, Luke Skywalker. Because Mark Hamill has obviously sort of... Um, been associated with the role of Luke Skywalker for many years and I think he's probably very um, uh, possessive of the character and very proud of the character and he's got strong feelings towards the character and he has his own uh, version of Luke Skywalker in his head and he said that this film didn't really match um, you know his vision for Luke Skywalker and he was quite open about that but I think the the thing is that many of the, the haters, let's call them, have been quoting Mark Hamill and sort of using them as their figurehead for for uh, the hatred and stuff and that saying that he's the one who's really telling the truth. But they don't really fully quote him because the, his full statement is, you know, I read the script and I was shocked by what they've done with the character and I was surprised and, I, you know, I didn't feel like it was my vision. But then it's not my film. This is Ryan Johnson's film. And having seen the entire uh, film completed, I now understand what Ryan Johnson was doing and I respect what he's done and I like the film. So, you know, Mark Hamill is not 100% against uh, this film. He's just was describing his own personal experience of being shocked by um, the direction that they uh, gave Luke Skywalker, but that ultimately he thought it was the right thing to do and that he likes the film ultimately okay and, and you know honestly if you look at the interviews and you see the way that he's talking about it it's not just a simple case of him hating the films okay he's just describing his complex arc that he went through between being surprised to ultimately realizing that the film uh, you know is it's it's good and that it's a good piece of uh, storytelling and that he likes what they did with the character i mean you know again some people are going to say that disney just sort of told him to say that but now we're in the realm of conspiracy theory thinking uh, i i suppose i think another reason why uh, people may be taking against the film to an extent is that there's the association with disney and there's a certain kind of anti-corporate feeling feeling uh, amongst the fan base and they feel like Disney are just this big corporation and they, are, they only care about making money and, and that sort of thing. And, you know, there's probably a certain element of truth in that. But I think it's possible for Disney to care about their franchise and, you know, use it as a money-making uh, tool while also attempting to make a genuinely good film as far as they see it, you know? I don't think that the two things um, are mutually exclusive. It's possible to have uh, a, a good film that also makes money, you know, rather than just a piece of trash that's just uh, a merchandising tool. I think it's not as simple as that. Added to that, there's the humour as well. Some people have really taken against the mo the moments of humour in the film, which they don't think fit in with the tone of the, the film as a whole or the whole franchise in general. And there are these moments of, of, uh, of humour in there. I enjoyed them myself. I found them funny and pretty weird in some cases, which I enjoyed. Uh, but other people just feel like the, the, the humour is jarring. Yeah, jarring. Not jar-jar-binksing, but just jarring. Like, jarring means it kind of uh, suddenly brings you out of the film or puts you off or um, drastically changes the tone in a bad way, like jarring. A, a bit like, um, I don't know, if you're driving along in a car and um, you go over a bump and, poof, you know, it, it sort of knocks your spine out of place. It's jarring. Anyway, um, 
So I'm, I'm talking there about some reasons why the film is disliked by some people, but not everyone, of course. Plenty of people like or love this film too, although it's hard to tell what the overall audience reaction has been. I think it's fair to say that the film is dividing people, particularly the more serious fans. Uh, I don't know what you thought of The Last Jedi. Uh, There are some pretty strong feelings out there, as I've said. You might disagree with me when I say that I like it, but I hope that you hear me out on this as I go through uh, this episode. Of course, the film is not 100% perfect or anything, and uh, I think there are some issues with it. But generally, I think that there is a great deal to be enjoyed about this. And that if you do love the Star Wars uh, universe, that, you know, it's not all over. Star Wars isn't dead. You can still enjoy it. It's just a little bit different now to how it was before. Okay? All right. So I'd like to now go through the film from start to finish and describe what happens and give my thoughts on each part. This is probably going to take bloody ages because the film is about two and a half hours long uh so god knows how long this episode is going to be we'll see anyway it doesn't matter this is luke's english podcast i can do whatever i want that's why it's called luke's english podcast so the force awakens that was episode seven you remember the numbers don't you so there's the there's the original trilogy that's episode four five and six a new hope empire strikes back return of the jedi and then there's the prequel trilogy that's episodes one, two, and three. Uh, the Phantom Menace. What's the other one? Attack of the Clones and Revenge of the Sith. And then there's the sequel trilogy, and that is episodes seven and eight, and it will be episode nine as well. Episode seven, The Force Awakens, and episode eight, The Last Jedi. All right. Also, there's Rogue One, and that fits in just before episode four, even though it was released last year or a year ago. Ha! Huh. So it goes four, five, six, one, two, three, seven, three point five, eight, uh, and then nine. And we're going to get a Han Solo film next year as well. No idea if that's going to be any good. It's, it looks like it might not be good, just because the way that the production has been really problematic. But anyway, we'll wait and see. Okay, so The Force Awakens, a very quick uh, summary of The Force Awakens. So the Resistance, not the Rebellion anymore, it's called the Resistance. They're searching for Luke Skywalker. The the Resistance is um, uh, led by Princess Leia, now General Leia Organa. They're searching for Luke Skywalker because they need his help. And there is a missing piece of a map hidden inside the droid BB-8. And a scavenger girl called Rey finds the droid and ends up being sort of caught up in the story. Luke has gone missing because um, Han Solo and Princess Leia um, had a son who turned to the dark side. And the son, whose name was Ben Solo, who's now Kylo Ren, he turned to the dark side while Luke was attempting to train him as part of his new Jedi Academy. And um, uh, Ben Solo turned to the dark side, perhaps because he was corrupted by this mysterious... um, sort of dark side user called uh snoke who is the supreme leader of the first order which is like the kind of uh, the new version of the empire okay so ray finds this droid that happens to have uh part of a map to luke skywalker in it also there's another character called finn and he's basically a um uh a traitor from the first order uh he decides to leave the first order he's a stormtrooper who decides to leave because he sort of wakes up and realises that they're the bad guys, basically. So he escapes the First Order 
rescuing um, a resistance pilot called Poe Dameron in the process. And Finn um, and Poe crash land on this uh, this planet called Jakku, which is where Ray lives. Poe Dameron manages to, to escape somehow. We don't know how. And then um, Finn um, ends up sort of meeting up with Ray and they make friends and the two of them manage to escape uh, the uh, planet, run away from the First Order, who are chasing after both Finn and uh, the droid BB-8 to get the piece of the map. And then uh, Finn and Ray hook up with Han Solo by coincidence. And what else happens? Oh, yeah, then they they find a way of blowing up the, the Death Star. It's, it's not the Death Star, though. It's called uh, Starkiller Base. And uh, they kind of battle with the First Order and Kylo Ren uh, kills Han Solo, his own father, as part of uh, his sort of training to to finally become uh, fully trained in the dark side. This is what Snoke tells him to do. He kills his, his, his father, which is a tragic moment. And then Kylo Ren meets Rey and Finn in the forest and they have a kind of a fight, and it turns out that Ray is strong with the Force, and um, and that's pretty much the end of the film. Okay, the, in fact, the film ends with them putting the map together, finding the location of Luke Skywalker, and Ray comes with uh, Luke Skywalker's old lightsaber, this lightsaber that used to belong to Anakin Skywalker, and uh, we see in the prequel trilogies that that lightsaber has done lots of things, some of them heroic, some of them horrible. And uh, it's a lightsaber that was handed down to Luke Skywalker via Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's it. it uh, when Luke Skywalker had his hand chopped off in, in Empire Strikes Back, that lightsaber was lost along with Luke's hand. But somehow it's it's been found and it ends up in Rey's hands. And she then um, comes back to give the lightsaber to Luke Skywalker in a sort of symbolic gesture of like, here's your lightsaber back. Now come on, join the resistance. We need... Um, uh, the legendary Luke Skywalker to to help save the day. And that's how um, Episode Seven uh, finishes, and then uh, the stage is then set for Episode Eight. Okay, right. So the the opening crawl. That's how every uh, Star Wars film begins. There's this opening crawl where uh, a bit of backstory is given in yellow text, and it uh, it crawls away from the the viewer into the distance against the backdrop of uh, of space so this is the opening crawl and uh, in the cinema how did that feel uh, seeing that well i was trying to keep my expectations realistic when i sat down in the cinema to watch episode eight uh, the last jedi i thought to myself if i expect too much from this then i might be disappointed it's just a film and ultimately it is just a space fantasy it seems silly to invest so much into it but having said that I was really looking forward to getting stuck into some new Star Wars and I had no idea what was coming and I couldn't help getting excited. I know it's stupid, isn't it? But I couldn't help getting excited and kind of I felt um, strangely nervous sitting in the cinema as the begin as the film began. The Lucasfilm logo appeared and I, I was just trying to stay calm, but I have to admit it was difficult. I felt weirdly nervous and sort of oddly uh, emotional. Uh, I have to admit. Uh, then the Star Wars logo appeared, ding, you know, on the screen and the music. And I was already getting chills. And I, uh, to be honest, I started welling up at that point. <laughs> I know it's a bit pathetic or something, isn't it? But there it is. Somehow these films just take me directly back to my childhood. It's like stepping back in time and going straight back to my living room 
when I was seven years old and my dad was younger than I am now and I'd never had any real experiences in my life. I'd never left home, never had my heart broken, never fallen in love. I was a bit emotional during this film. Uh, I just can't help it. So also bear in mind that I was watching this film while expecting uh, my wife to give birth to our baby at any moment. So I literally had my phone in my hand and every single vibration uh, from my phone I expected was a text from my wife saying that her water had broken. So I was kind of already uh, in a weird state. And so I, I was feeling quite emotionally susceptible while watching the film, which is fine. You know, I'm in touch with my feelings. There's nothing wrong with that, is there? So the opening crawl started, and it's impossible not to get excited by this if you're a Star Wars fan. For some reason, I can never really read the opening crawl and take it in. I'm I'm normally just like, whoa, it's Star Wars, it's actually happening. So anyway, the opening crawl for Episode Eight, The Last Jedi, goes like this. It says, The First Order reigns. Having decimated the peaceful Republic... Supreme Leader Snoke now deploys his merciless legions to seize military control of the galaxy. Only General Leia Organa's band of resistance fighters stand against the rising tyranny, certain that Jedi Master Luke Skywalker will return and restore a spark of hope to the fight. But the resistance has been exposed. As the First Order speeds towards the rebel base, the brave heroes mount a desperate escape. So basically, the First Order are now in complete control of the galaxy after having blown up the Republic... That's, I guess, just like um, the, 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 the government. Um, and uh, I suppose that's what the... It's never really explained. But anyway, the, the First Order blew up a bunch of planets, essentially wiping out the kind of... Uh, the, the government um, of the galaxy, and then they've taken control. So it's like it's been a huge military coup on an, on an epic scale using uh, this uh, planet-sized battle station which is like uh, the death star three let's say um the resistance blew up the star killer base spectacularly at the end of um, of the film but anyway the first order have essentially taken over control of the galaxy and the resistance are on the run i imagine the first order just want to get rid of them now uh, as they are the sort of last remnant of um of the republic or of you know anyone willing to put up a fight against them so the resistance are on the run escaping from their base the first order are closing in with vastly superior weaponry ships and and stuff like that they there's a cool moment where you see the um resistance like evacuating their base on this planet and they look up into the sky and you can see these like star destroyers coming out of hyperspace just into into the sky imagine like looking up into the sky on earth and seeing these uh ships like suddenly appearing way up in the distance so that's a cool moment i was like whoa that's that's an interesting thing we've never seen that before like uh star destroyers appearing in the atmosphere or visible from the planet's surface i think have we ever seen that i don't know anyway it was cool um so uh the the, the first order blow up the rebel base with these massive cannons from out of space uh as the remaining resistance ships escape but uh the, the resistance do manage to escape but they're being pursued by uh the first order fleet and uh in an effective but costly counterattack led by T- Poe Dameron, resistance fighters managed to destroy a First Order dreadnought. So, um, so yeah, Poe Dameron, in this kind of uh, brave uh, X-wing pilot, uh, leads a, an attack against uh, the First Order fleet, 
um, which is sort of um, just a few fighters going up against these massive ships. One of the First Order officers that we see is played by a British actor called Aid Edmondson, or Adrian Edmondson. Um, and I'm sure that all the British people watching the film were sort of delighted at that point because we all know Adrian Edmondson very well. He's been in lots of uh, English comedy TV shows and stuff, so it was quite funny to see him uh, on the screen. Um, Admiral Hux, who is sort of in charge of the uh, First Order, uh, he's played by, is his name Dom Hall Gleeson, the Irish actor? He's particularly good because he really hams it up. To ham it up is basically to essentially overact like to perform in a very um, obvious uh, way, especially in a way that makes people laugh. And it's, I think it's associated with stage actors who kind of uh, overact in a slightly comic way. Uh, so Dom Hall Gleeson really hams it up as this um, um, First Order... Uh, is this, yeah, Admiral. He's an Admiral. And um, he speaks in this very old-fashioned, posh English accent and everything. Uh, the first bit of controversial humour arrives with uh, Poe Dameron uh, facing off against this massive uh, First Order dreadnought. And, you know, he has a little conversation with Hux and he's playing with him. And he says, you know, I'm holding for Admiral... He calls him Admiral Hugs, not Ad- Admiral Hux, and pretends that he's on hold and all this sort of stuff. Um, that's controversial humour because a lot of people found that to be not funny and sort of out of place. I thought it was all right. I quite enjoyed making fun of the First Order because they are a ridiculous bunch of space Nazis, essentially. So it's quite amusing to make fun of them. And the First Order officers are actually pretty incompetent. Uh, and I think uh, Dom Hall Gleeson plays a lot of his scenes for laughs. He, it's a completely over-the-top performance. His old-fashioned received pronunciation accent and his general frothing at the mouth. It's like a sort of cliched Nazi officer or something. A quick note here about accents. Um, English accents in Star Wars. In the Star Wars films, almost all of the Imperial officers and First Order officers have these old-fashioned, heightened, received pronunciation accents. This is because... This is the accent that Americans associate with an evil old empire because the British Empire was an evil old empire for the USA, especially when you think of uh, like upper class uh, British people or admirals in the you know the uh, the English uh, Navy and so on. These were the uh, evil old empire for the for the United States, and this association still exists, kind of more so in the seventies, but still today. So when George Lucas chose these uh, actors with um, these kind of old-fashioned, posh English accents, I think the sort of almost subconscious association was that these guys represent an evil empire. Um, and, you know, today it still means like stuffy formality and, and uh, things like that. So that's all of the officers, the, the bad guy officers have this accent. Also, some of the other characters have this old-fashioned English accent too. Like Obi-Wan Kenobi also had an old-school English accent, but I think that was to suggest that he came from an era that no longer really exists, like the old Republic. And it just fits the character too. His um, British accent or his English accent gives him class, dignity, and suggests that he's more than just a crazy old man. Uh, Also, Darth Vader had a bit of an RP British accent sometimes, but this gradually changed into a sort of transatlantic American accent. 
uh, which is still old-fashioned and a bit formal in tone, but also a bit American. And that's just because the voice actor, uh, James Earl Jones, was a classically trained American actor. Uh, these these great actors that appeared in Star Wars really brought a lot of weight and class to the original films. And this was repeated in the prequel trilogy. And they chose more well-trained British actors in the prequels because they also have class and a certain sort of weight and distinction to them. And this includes actors like, for example, Terence Stamp, um, who was in the prequel trilogy. Um, in this sequel trilogy, accents are also used to create certain feelings and associations with the characters. The First Order officers, as I've said, still speak in this old-fashioned RP in order to give that sense of old empire. And you can think also of the naval officers in Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, the English naval officers who speak in a similarly old-fashioned way. Um, Supreme Leader Snoke in the sequel trilogy, speaks in formal British RP. We don't really know much about him, and I'll come back to uh, that in a bit. But basically, he's a bit like the Emperor, probably very old and powerful, and he's the supreme leader of the First Order, so of course he has the old-fashioned English RP accent. Uh, It's not just in Star Wars, too. In many Hollywood films, um, powerful bad guys often have old-school English accents. Um... Most of the other characters in Star Wars speak American English, though, and this seems to be the default accent for just any ordinary person in the Star Wars universe. This includes Han Solo, who is a kind of cowboy smuggler, flyboy kind of guy, and Luke Skywalker, who's just a farmer from a desert planet. He's, um, you know, if you speak with that kind of accent, you're probably nobody particularly special. You're just an ordinary person. Um, Also, most of the new characters speak with standard American accents too. Like, for example, Finn. He's just an ordinary guy, quite a low-level person, since he used to be a stormtrooper and he speaks with an American accent, although the actor is actually from Peckham in South London. Apparently he auditioned in his normal voice, uh, his normal English accent, uh, but it just didn't feel right. Um, And he he auditioned in an American accent and apparently it just fit the character better. So sometimes that's all it means. It doesn't really mean that much. It just It's a question of just, you know, whether it feels right or not. And I think for the character of Finn, who is this sort of, um, uh, uh, you know, slightly heroic uh, guy or an action guy, uh, an ordinary bloke who ends up being a sort of a, uh, an action hero, although he's he's got nothing really special about him. I think uh, just an American accent probably fit that character better. Um, also, probably audiences would would uh, would respond to that better too. You can imagine American audiences not really understanding why Finn would speak with a South London accent. Um, Poe Dameron also has a standard American accent. As I said, these are just the sort of ordinary people, the rebels, the down-to-earth heroes that aren't part of this uh, old-fashioned empire. Then, of course, there's Ray, And Ray speaks with quite a posh English accent, which is quite interesting. Uh, she's got quite a posh English accent, although she doesn't speak in the kind of formal way that the first officers, uh, the first order officers speak. I mean, she doesn't use formal language, although she does have a slightly old-fashioned accent. I think she's just a normal person too. And according to this film, she is nobody special, unless this is just a trick. And in episode nine, they will reveal something special about Rey in terms of her lineage. But I don't think so. 
Again, I'll talk more about this later. So why does Ray have this English RP accent uh, when all the other sort of ordinary characters speak with American accents? Well, I don't really know. Perhaps the actress doesn't really do a very good American accent and this is just her normal voice. Maybe that's it. Perhaps they just wanted to arouse our interest in this character by giving her a distinctive and classy voice, a bit like Obi-Wan Kenobi had. The fans certainly took this point as a big clue about her origins. Um, A lot of people believe that because she's Force-sensitive and she speaks in a posh English English accent, that she must be related to other Force users with this accent, like maybe Obi-Wan Kenobi or perhaps even Emperor Palpatine. And there were lots of fan theories that she was maybe Obi-Wan Kenobi's daughter or granddaughter or Emperor Palpatine's daughter or something like that. Um, there are other details that support these fan theories, but apparently her accent doesn't mean this at all. But still, it's interesting to note that although she grew up on an insignificant planet and lived as a scavenger for all of her life, she still speaks with quite a posh English accent when all the people around her on that home planet of Jakku don't have the same accent. Her slave owner, for example, because in The Force Awakens she appears to be basically a slave or at least someone who works for food rations rather than money. So her owner or her master or boss speaks with a working-class Cockney English accent. Um, So anyway, it's just interesting to, to note the way that accents are used in this film. And that was just a note on accents there. Next time you watch these films in English, you can listen out for the different accents and just think about those associations. Now then, back to the plot. I'm going to try and explain the plot as we go through this episode. Um, it's it's fairly complicated. Um, I mean, if you've seen the film, you know the plot anyway, so it doesn't really matter if I miss a few little details. So the Resistance avoid getting blown up by the First Order ships. Uh, these massive battleships called uh, Dreadnoughts. And Poe Dameron bravely and recklessly flies right up to uh, the First Order Dreadnought and does some sort of Top Gun-style maverick flying, taking out lots of gun turrets and generally being a brilliant pilot. So by taking out those gun turrets, he clears the way for the Resistance bombers. And these bombers come in, and they're they're kind of like World War II-style bombers. And... Star Wars has always taken inspiration from World War II films. Um, the original um, Episode Four uh, Star Wars film, um, actually, a lot of those flight sequences, you know, with the X-Wing uh, fighters doing the trench uh, run, a lot of those shots were actually directly lifted from World War II uh, films. I think the Battle of Britain, for example, some of those... Um, those dogfights and things are actually copied almost directly from World War II uh, war films. So it's quite appropriate that the um, the resi- resistance bombers look a bit like uh, World War II bombers. And they are laden with these cool-looking round black bombs, which are kind of um, ready to be dropped on the uh, First Order Dreadnought. Now, some people say, but there's no gravity in space. How would these bombs work? But this is Star Wars, isn't it? It's not Star Trek. I make that distinction because that's not a word because I make that distinction because Star Trek has always been based on science. You know, there's been a lot of science and, you know, like physics and different theories and things like that in Star Trek. But Star Wars is fantasy. It's not science fiction. So if your argument against this film is that it doesn't make scientific sense, then, well, sorry, that's a bit invalid considering Star Wars has never stood up to any scientific scrutiny. 
And ultimately, it's an emotional, character-driven fable set in space in a galaxy far, far away a long, long time ago. It's more like a Greek myth or an episode of Flash Gordon than 2001 A Space Odyssey. So this is not science fiction. This is fantasy in space. Um, So there are some classic moments of Star Wars fighter combat in space, including a fat guy with a beard who dies instantly. And this is something that happens in so many Star Wars films beginning with episode four, when a fat bearded pilot called Porkins dies in the in the uh, attack on the Death Star. And it happens again in episode seven, I think. There's another fat guy who dies. And then here we go again. Another fat bearded pilot buys the farm, meaning he dies, almost instantly. And it's a sort of running joke. Um, and I wonder how the fat bearded guy community feels about this. Um, and... So what else? So Poe Dameron is an awesome pilot, but an incredible risk taker. And he ends up getting most of the Resistance fleet destroyed, except for one lone bomber, which somehow manages to get through the First Order defences. And then there's this super dramatic sequence with this last remaining bomber. And it, this feels like the ending sequence of the film rather than the start. And I, you know, I don't understand how anyone could not find this exciting and brilliant. This whole sequence with this uh, one bomber flying through all of this fighting and all these lasers going everywhere, and this bomber somehow is managing to survive, and it's got this this load of bombs. And on this bomber, you see uh, this character who it turns out is Rose's sister. She's a gunner on the bomber, and all the other crew on her bomber have been killed and it's up to her to uh, press the trigger button and drop all the bombs onto the dreadnought and it's very dramatic stuff with her trying you know her dropping the trigger button and then she falls um uh down in her spaceship and she's uh, she's lying on her back on the bottom of the ship and the button uh for the uh for the bombs is on a ledge way above her and it's very dramatic because uh, any minute now the the ship's going to explode and she she won't be able to release the bombs and uh, she needs to try and grab the the button but it's out of her reach and there's a suggestion here that princess leia uses the force to help her that we cut to to leia on the bridge of her ship and she's kind of like looking into the distance and you get the impression that maybe she's sort of somehow influencing the outcome of this battle using the force or something um and also rose's sister holds onto a necklace and we see later that the other half of this necklace belongs to her sister rose she kind of uh, you know holds onto this necklace and closes her eyes and of course the button somehow drops down from the ledge towards her and it all happens in slow motion uh, and uh, the button, you think, is she going to catch the button? And then the button flies past her head out of reach. And this is executed. This moment is executed in a slightly cheesy and cliched way by Ryan Johnson, the director, I, I think. The button clearly drops past her and is out of reach. But then somehow in slow motion, we see the button dropping from another angle and her hand comes from nowhere to grab the button at the last moment. And it's exactly the same thing that happens in Mission Impossible with Tom Cruise when he's in that high security room trying to steal some classified information or something. He's suspended from the ceiling in this room where if you touch the floor or even a beat, you know, drop of water touches the floor, it'll set the alarm off. And he's, um, 
and a bead of sweat drops from his forehead and we see it flying towards the floor and we know that if it touches the floor he's dead basically and that bead of sweat falls and it's definitely going to land on the floor but suddenly his hand comes in at the last minute and, and catches the bead of sweat at the last second the magic of the movies so some people probably found that a bit annoying but it's just a trick that's been used in countless other films and you know movies always play with time and space they slow down time they speed things up they use different angles and all that sort of thing in order to raise the tension um and you know the worst that you can say about this sequence is that it's a bit of a cliche but i found it personally to be good old-fashioned dramatic tension and the moment when she presses the button and the bombs drop onto the dreadnought that's really satisfying and there's a huge explosion and the dreadnought is destroyed although uh it's at great cost to the resistance because basically their whole bombing fleet has been has been lost so that was a really exciting sequence and a great way to begin the um the the film and i don't mind the jokey dialogue between poe and hux i actually love the way that the first order order officers are quite ridiculous and over the top and i always found that to be funny in star wars anyway uh, but th- there is a hell of a lot of war in this film. I mean, of course, it's Star Wars. The the you know the clue is in the title. It's about war in space. But there is a lot of war, and I I remember James uh, saying this in another episode that we did about Star Wars once. He I remember him saying, "Will this war ever end?" I mean, it's just relentless war that goes on and on forever. And you know, it probably won't end. Uh, it's probably going to go on and on and on. And that's a pity. You know, it's a pity that this is all about war and that this is great entertainment, like war as entertainment. I think that's a bit of a pity. You see it a lot in other films too, like Avengers, Infinity War. It's just war, 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 explosions and explosions, never ending war, and it's all for our entertainment. I think that's a bit weird. So, you know, that's one issue I do have with Star Wars. I have to say that this, just this relentless war that never ends, and that's a bit depressing. Anyway, the Resistance fleet jumps into hyperspace and escapes the First Order for now. And Poe Dameron gets told off by Princess Leia, who demotes him. And basically, Poe's character arc in this film is that he has to learn how to develop from a reckless, if brilliant, fighter pilot into a strategic and inspiring leader of the Resistance. And you kind of see that happen as the film progresses. One of the complaints about the film is that none of the characters develop and that there's no character changes. Well, I'd completely disagree with that. Most of the characters have clear character arcs, like, for example, Poe Dameron changing from a reckless fighter pilot to a uh, a more sort of strategic and inspirational leader by the end of the film. Um, so also, General uh, no, Admiral Hux gets told off by Supreme Leader Snoke, who appears as a hologram and throws him around the room and drags him across the floor using the Force. Um, and uh, then I think Hux is summoned into Snoke's throne room along with Kylo Ren um, and Snoke is really pissed off with Hux and everything but uh, Hux reveals that they're actually tracking the resistance through hyperspace something that wasn't possible before hyperspace tracking again some fans are pissed off about this they're like oh what's hyperspace tracking you know you could never do that before well that is a new thing uh, that seems to have come from nowhere but this was mentioned very quickly in rogue one there is a mention of hyperspace tracking in rogue one so there it is it is in the 
uh, it is in other it is mentioned in, in other films before so it's not completely out of the blue that hyperspace tracking is something that the first order have been working on for years anyway so Hux reveals that they they're able to track the um, the resistance through hyperspace and this kind of gets him off the hook with Snoke but then Hux leaves Snoke alone with Kylo Ren who is still wearing his mask from episode 7 okay and this is a pretty cool scene i think any scene with snoke and kylo ren um is a cool scene and snoke bullies kylo ren explaining how he's disappointed with him how he's lost faith in him how he still how kylo is still conflicted between the light and the dark sides of the force despite having killed han solo his father and um and Snoke says that when he found Kylo Ren, he thought he had so much potential in raw power and that he could be the new Darth Vader. But now he realises he's just a boy in a mask who got beaten by a girl. Uh, and to be fair to be fair to Kylo, uh, when he failed to, to defeat Rey in Episode 7, he had been shot in the, in the side uh, by Chewbacca. He had been shot when he took on Ray, but still, Snoke uh, really makes him feel small and useless. And Snoke is obviously manipulating him, but in a very, very cruel way. And he kind of slaps, uh, he slaps down Kylo Ren. In fact, he gives him a jolt of force lightning, which is a pretty cool moment. He kind of bounces some force lightning off the floor and it strikes Kylo Ren. And um, Kylo stands up defiantly just before Snoke shocks him with electricity. He kind of stands up defiantly. Um, uh, because of the things that Snoke is saying to him. He stands up, but Snoke shocks him quickly, sending him flying backwards. And I suppose that's to teach him a lesson, like a kind of cruel parent or something. But And, and when, when this happens, we see Snoke's power used casually. And also his guards, there are these red guards in the throne room. They quickly adopt fighting positions when Kylo stands up. And then they return to their original positions after a couple of seconds. And these guards look brilliant. They look sort of badass and cool. And definitely better than the Imperial guards that didn't really protect Emperor Palpatine in the original films. So the way the guards move into their fighting positions is like, whoa, that's cool. These guards look amazing. Also, Snoke looks amazing. The CGI, um, the computer-generated images and special effects and the motion capture that they've used with Snoke is amazing and he, he looks really good and so after this scene Kylo Ren feels utterly humiliated and furious and Adam Driver's performance is really good I think I think it's quite understated except for the moments when he flies into a rage we don't quite know what's going on inside him except for the subtle looks that he gives and subtle changes in his expression which suggests that he's either feeling hurt or angry or determined or impatient or calculating uh, Kylo Ren is a bit of an enigma. He, I think he never blinks in the film. Um, it's just this kind of cold uh, expression on his face, um, unblinking. He never really reveals what he's thinking either. And I actually feel sympathy towards him at this point, considering how Snoke has been bullying him, how Snoke builds him up and knocks him down and stuff. And I actually think that he's... I think that Kylo is a bit more interesting than just a guy in a mask. Uh, Darth Vader, of course, from the original trilogy, is a brilliant villain, but he's also quite ridiculous. I mean, that helmet that Vader wears is a bit over the top. I mean, it works, 
because we wonder what's going on on the inside. We we speculate about the the man on the inside behind this grotesque helmet. But Kylo Ren removes his mask, and I think this is a good idea in terms of the filmmaking. It allows us to see Adam Driver's performance, and I like the way that Adam Driver uh, is mostly quite blank in his expression. It's hard to read him, and then at certain key moments. We actually see the conflict inside him when that blank expression breaks and we see, as I said, rage or him being calculating or something like that. I I like the fact that we never really know which way he's going. Is Kylo turning good or is he turning bad? Or is it possible that he's going to go in a completely new direction against the Resistance and Luke Skywalker, but also against Snoke, who's using and abusing him? So Kylo is upset and very angry And not only does he remove the mask, but he destroys it against the wall of the lift. He smashes it to pieces. So this guy is calm and expressionless one minute and then completely unhinged the next minute. And I really love that about this character. He orders his ship to be made ready. Uh, The resistance at this point are just licking their wounds after the bomber run on the Dreadnought. And Poe Dameron is feeling gutted that he's been demoted by General Leia. Uh, Then we see Finn, and Finn um, has been in a coma after he kind of got slashed by Kylo Ren at the end of episode seven. And Finn wakes up inside this kind of back-to-tank thing. Some sort of, he's wearing some kind of medical bodysuit that he's been wearing while while recovering. And there's a bit of comedy when he he falls out of, uh, he he falls off the, the hospital bed and he then walks out of the medical ward wearing this ridiculous suit with pipes sticking out of it and liquid going everywhere. And it looks pretty dumb, but it doesn't really do any harm to the film or to Finn, really. It's just a kind of slightly goofy moment. And Finn, uh, no, Poe sees Finn wandering around um kind of waking up from i guess this coma and uh he goes up to him and he kind of explains what's been going on Uh, he fills him in on the plot i think at this point the first order ships suddenly jump out of hyperspace right behind the resistance and the resistance are shocked to discover that the first order have somehow tracked them through hyperspace so the thing is right that the resistance are a certain distance ahead of the first order ships just out of range of the First Order's big weapons. Now, I admit that this part of the plot is quite contrived. We now have a sort of standoff or a low-speed chase in which the First Order can't get any closer to the Resistance because their big ships aren't quite fast enough and the Resistance ships are relying on their shields and their mobility to keep out of range of the First Order's guns. So we end up with this kind of uh, race against time as the resistance are trying to escape um, while you know maintaining their, their position just out of range of the big guns. Now, I don't know why the First Order can't just do a really quick hyperspace jump so that they're immediately behind the resistance ships and then use their big weapons to destroy them. I don't really understand why the First Order ships aren't faster than they are and why their big weapons have such a short range. But honestly, I don't really care. It doesn't really matter that much to me. Um, I'm willing to suspend my disbelief in order to enjoy the film. And, and, you know, my enjoyment of this film is not predicated on all of these little details being exactly right. I don't mind. And the situation is basically that the First Order decide to play the long game. They're convinced that eventually the Resistance will run out of fuel and then their shields will fail and that they will that their, the ships will then fall within range and the First Order will just be able to easily destroy them. 
They also know that the resistance can't escape through hyperspeed. So basically they wait, and that's good enough for me. It shows the arrogance and cruelty of the First Order, enjoying the feeling that they have the upper hand, and perhaps even relishing the dominance of their position. And in terms of the film, it allows other things to happen in the meantime, and it works as a kind of ticking clock device, which is really common in many films. There's always a ticking clock or an ultimatum, which gives a sense of urgency to everything that happens. There's a time limit, you know. Um, And the, the protagonists have to hurry because they're running out of time. It's just a device that's used in lots and lots of films. And the worst thing you could say about it is that it's a bit of a cliche. Um, So Kylo Ren then goes out on an attack run against the Resistance with a few other First Order fighters. So he sends out, you know, they send out a few uh, smaller fighters to go out and do some strategic attacks on the, the Resistance fleet. And this is the first time that we've seen Kylo in his TIE fighter. And it's a bit like vader's tie fighter from from um the, the original trilogy or perhaps it's sort of reminiscent of the fighter that was flown by anakin skywalker in in one of the prequel films um kylo ren also does some spinning in his um in his uh what is it it's a tie silencer i think that's what it's called he does some spinning which is a move that anakin was known for doing in the prequels and that's kind of a nice touch since Ana- since kylo is anakin's grandson and there are sort of parallels between the characters and kylo destroys a lot of the resistance x-wing fighters in the hangar on their ship the radus and loads of resistance pilots die uh and kylo is a is a badass pilot he flies past the bridge of the Radus where his mother Leia is situated and there's this cool moment when the two of them obviously become aware of each other through the Force and Kylo is planning to blow up the bridge, killing everyone including his mother but he pauses and seems to be wrestling with inner conflict and we see Leia perhaps reaching out using the Force and this is a great emotional moment that and a really good performance by well by both adam driver and carrie fisher there's a lot of emotion shown on their faces kylo in the end doesn't shoot his missiles into the bridge he can't kill his mother apparently maybe leia is using the force to control his mind or something or perhaps kylo hasn't become completely dark yet and the light part of him has mercy on her it's interesting anyway to see his conflict and to consider where his loyalties really lie do they lie with snoke or do they they lie with leia somehow we don't really know but he doesn't launch his missiles in any case however the two tie fighters by his side do shoot their missiles and the bridge is blown up sending everyone that's on the bridge uh hurtling out into space including uh general leia Kylo Ren is then told to return to the First Order fleet and he seems frustrated, perhaps because his mother has just been blown up or because he he, he resents being given orders by General Hux. At this moment, I feel like he's going to turn back to the light side or at least he's not completely loyal to Snoke and the First Order. He seems to resent uh, having to follow orders. and this conflict is really interesting and I, I don't see why some people don't see this as a really positive point about the film trying to work out kylo ren and the direction he's taking i think is fascinating and it's helped by a really good performance by adam driver i reckon the best things about this film are the inner conflicts in the main characters there's depth there's contradiction there's failure confusion 
pain and redemption in some cases in these characters and the film shows this to the audience rather than just kind of explaining it in clumsy dialogue like you get in the prequel films Uh, kylo ren flies back to the first order fleet and then perhaps the most controversial and weird moment in this film happens and this is the this is the one that a lot of people really don't like and you know what this is where i'm going to end this part of this star wars episode and i'll carry on in the next one so actually this is going to be three episodes isn't it this one uh the continuation in uh the next one and then there'll be the conversation with uh, dad and james in the third one so three episodes all about star wars the last jedi you're definitely getting your money's worth on this one aren't you and considering it's a free podcast that means quite a lot i suppose um all right then good so i expect that uh part two of this will be available almost straight away so you can just carry on then can't you yes you can okay good thanks for listening up to this point um let me know your thoughts on what i've said in the comments section and i'll speak to you in the next part okay all right then for now then Goodbye, bye, 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 bye. Thanks for listening to Luke's English Podcast. For more information, visit teacherluke.co.uk. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com If you enjoyed this episode of Luke's English Podcast, consider signing up for Luke's English Podcast Premium. You'll get regular premium episodes with stories, vocabulary, grammar and pronunciation teaching from me and the usual moments of humour and fun. Plus, with your subscription, you will be directly supporting my work and making this whole podcast project possible. For more information about Luke's English Podcast Premium, go to teacherluke.co.uk slash premium info.